Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast, brought to you by Lighthouse Educator Development. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I am here with Wilkie Law this afternoon. Wilkie, what's going on? Not a whole lot. Excited about the day. Yeah. Excited. Super excited Ab- about the day. Absolutely. We were just talking. There's about six weeks left in this school year, so uh, everybody's getting ready. It's uh, different for me because I'm actually going to be in a classroom starting – we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon. I'm actually going to be in a classroom for the first time in uh, almost 11 months tomorrow doing some subbing. So it's going to be good to get back and, and get in there with the kids and, and see if these things we've been working on and these things we believe actually I can apply them. Right. And it's just – I mean, and I think, you know, even as we grow and move, I think it's good to go back into the classroom just to be relevant. You know, I think about um, – Big shout out to one of my, um, I, I guess I can call her a mentor, uh, Dr. Kathy Seeley. They say whenever you read somebody's book, they become a mentor. So I uh, had the privilege of meeting her. And one of the things that she said is that even though she's a professor emeritus at the University of Texas, she still goes back and teaches just to remain relevant with the craft and with what's going on in society. So so it's just, it's, just, it's just a step to keep you relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So... <laughs> Let's get into our, uh, uh, I think it's maybe our second installment together of Clear the Air. I'm going to let you lead this one out. All right, to clear the air. Um, I guess this week for me, this past week, and, and I, I purposely reflect daily to see what's going on. But it's amazing how people will put their shortcomings on you and, and actually do a very good job of making you believe that their shortcomings are yours, or their emergency is your emergency. Um, and I just think that that even, you know, we have to get away from that. We have to start looking at each individual person as an individual and recognizing that you're better at something than I am. So I'm not going to superimpose my, my, my shortcomings on you because I don't, I don't want to feel inadequate. No, it's not that I don't want to, it's not that I feel inadequate, it's feel that you can fill this gap a lot faster than me. I have a shovel. You have a backhoe. Who am I going to rather go to if I need a big hole dug? You know, I could get it done with the shovel, but it's better for me to say, you know what? Hey, Kyle has a backhoe over there. Let's see if he can come dig this out for us, and we can do the finishing touches with our skill set. But it's just amazing that in education that that's something that, that school leaders do, is that they impose their shortcomings upon their entire community of learners yeah and and to your point on that it's also you know expectations I think can fall in into that same category and and this is not to to knock on Ben but you know Ben and I have we just have opposing not opposing worldviews but the way we see things are just different like I'm a person uh and this is a story we collected some food you know that canned food where in the Boy Scouts were supposed to come and pick it up, they never did. And now, that was for the Super Bowl, and now it's almost May, and it's still here. And Ben sees that as me not being able to prioritize it and just do a simple task. But for me, I, I, when I see it, it doesn't even register as a priority, because it's, it's just there. I have a very, in my mind, I have a very limited amount of things that I can keep as a priority at one time. Some people would say I'm uh, flighty or I have attention issues, but but for me, I, 
I'm learning to grow and, and to talk on Ben, he's understanding how to deal with that, you know, like, and you've learned how to deal with that with me, <laughs> that it's not that I'm trying to ignore things, um, or anything like that. It's just that when I see certain things, I might not make the same things a priority that you do. Absolutely. And I think we try to spend so much time putting that stuff on other people that... Well, we want to make things that are our priorities, everybody's priority. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. The care and the concern and the welfare of my daughter, though you you want her to be well because of your connection to me, I can't tell you that you have to make it a priority. That's my priority. And I think that even when you look in the realm of, of education or even in building relationships, you would save yourself a lot of stress in a relationship if you learn to just say, you know what, this is my priority. And if it's not a priority to me, then it may be a priority to somebody else. Don't look down on me because I didn't put it number one on my list and it's number one on yours. Yeah. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be the same. The thing is, if it's, a, if it's an issue for you, that's a priority to you, then why haven't you done it? Yeah, and I think and I think the same thing too is, you know, a lot of it is we want to justify our priorities or our shortcomings by putting them on to others rather than just saying this is my priority. I mean, it's, it's oh, they the call that delegation, right? Yeah, yeah, or you know, and, and in the same, it's or you could call it justification. You can call it whatever, but it comes back to that point of it's. It's a lot easier to pawn. I mean, it's just a way to pawn responsibility off onto someone else. You know, and it, we just we were talking about this this week about if I see something needs to be done, like if I'm walking around the campus and I see trash on the floor, I'm not a janitor, but I pick it up. You know, as I'm going throughout my day, if I see something out of place, that's not my job, but I'll pick it up and I'll do it. The issue becomes when people notice that that's what you do and they don't do what they're supposed to do because they know you're going to do something. In essence, making now that part of your job because now I'm responsible solely for it because nobody else is doing it because I already do it. You know, and I think that that's an issue with that because, again, that's not my job. You know, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. It becomes my responsibility as a community, but it doesn't negate you from doing what you're supposed to do. I love it when I was in the, when I had my classroom. I used to sweep my own floor. I had my kids at the end of the day sweep the floor up so that when the janitor came in to take out the trash, I'm like, hey, you don't have to sweep. All you got to do is take out the trash. But she never not came, did not come in with her broom and her dustpan prepared to sweep. She never didn't didn't come just because she knew my kids did it. She always came like clockwork. Why? That's her responsibility. And she took her responsibility. She didn't say, oh, I know Mr. Law got it. So I don't have to go to 630. She never did that. She still came. And when she came, I said, hey, we've already got it. Just just a trash. We've already put it all together in one. Sometimes I have the bag already tied up and waiting. So now you gotta just grab the bag and go. Does that mean that now I want to become a janitor or I want to become a head janitor because I'm... No. That means that I'm taking responsibility of my own classroom and making somebody else's job a little bit better. Showing them the appreciation of what they do. So, like I said, I, I, that's a little rant that I have. And once you start doing something, people start automatically saying, oh, they're going to do it so I don't have to do it. Right. Uh, for me, my clear of the air uh, is, is more of a positive one. On uh, this, this past Wednesday, a former student of mine that I had as a 7th and 8th grader, um, 
received uh, a scholarship from Investex Credit Union here in Houston, uh, and it was supposed to be a $1,000. He and five other students from the Houston area were being uh, honored at their meeting, and it was very nice. And all of a sudden, after all the kids had sat down, the CEO of Investex went back up and said, you know, this is not something we've ever done before, but one story really stood out to me when I was reading through it and our committee and and this person has just overcome so many challenges and so many uh, hardships and to see the person that they had become, we, we really wanted to do more for this person. And then they called my student up and they said, we're we're not going to give you $1,000. We're going to give you 5000 Wow. So out of the blue, uh, his guardian didn't know. I didn't know. His football coach didn't know. It was such a special moment. You know, they, they're giving him $1,000 a semester for his first five semesters. And it was just such a great moment to see a student get honored. And also, to you know, for a company like Investex, which, which is – big around here to, to go out of their way to do that when they didn't have to, it, it really stood out to me as a really, it was a really special moment. And when you, you know, when you told me about that this week, I, I really, it touched me. And then I saw it came across in the, in our district newsletter that they, they talked about the kids being honored and Investex doing it. And it really hit me. And I said, you know what? I don't do business with Investex. I don't, but you know, I told you my big thing is on partnerships. That's somebody that I'm going to I'm going to now go and open account at Investex and start moving money over there. Because, again, anybody that's willing to partner with our uh, the future of our country, the future of our nation, the future of our world and say, we're going to offer this to get make somebody else's a little bit better. They deserve they deserve patronage. Well, yeah. And they're um, and it just made me think, like, you know, that's as we, you know, for our nonprofit, we look for partnerships. That's a place that I would want to go to in people that I would say, you know, Hey, I saw you do this, which makes me think you're committed to, to not, not doing scholarships. And I'm not trying to say that other institutions don't do it right. Uh, don't do it. And they do it for the wrong reasons, but to have, but to have them step up and it's personal way, for you and it's per, and it, and it, it caught me in such a personal, personal way. Cause I've, I've known this kids, you know, six years now, and I know a lot of his backstory um, and the things he's gone through and the number of losses he's had in, in such a short time that for him to persevere and he, he got a scholarship to play football at Mary Harden Baylor. So um, it, it took a big, and it was nice because um, his guardian is not family and she's taken on a huge amount of the financial responsibility for him. So for that, it also made a huge difference to take a little bit of the weight off off of her, Absolutely. so that was it was a really special moment. Absolutely, I, I would say that they they definitely big shout out to Investex. Yeah, that. absolutely. Big shout out. So, all right, moving on to our week connect card. Here's a question. This is a green variety question, which is a little lighter. What is something that amazes you? <laughs> something that amazes me. I would say the resiliency of children. Um, I'm a breeder of pit bulls. I love pit bulls. And 
one of the things that they talk about about the pit bull is that they're very resilient. You can abuse someone can abuse them and treat them bad, and the moment they get with a loving home, everything turns off and it shifts their programming. And I've had the privilege of now watching that take place with with my brother-in-law and my sister adopting these two little girls and watching this one little girl who wouldn't smile, who had limited exposure to, to many things, and to watch her over the last month or so just develop into this, this charismatic little being that was not there before. And then to see it in, in, the, in school systems, you know, as I've watched kids from August to now, and I see how kids who were shy, withdrawn, you know, who walk around and are giving me high fives now. They're, they're excited about the fact that they've gotten good marks on this and they've done this on the standardized test. And I think that, that, that we underestimate their resiliency and we kind of shield them from things, not realizing that the whole thing of the human nature, human nature is resiliency. We, we get illness, our body bounce backs from it. You know, that's why we have white blood cells to fight off these different things. And I think that the, the children, as older we get older, we, we, it's harder for us to bounce back. You know, but for children especially, they, they're so resilient. And we knew the backstory to many of our students. You know, you just said you're a student who lost so much now as a senior, as a graduating senior, living with a guardian, someone who's not related to them. Um, for him to be able to bounce back and still do be able to focus and accomplish what he's accomplished. I mean, I think that America should, should wake up and really look at what, how resilient our kids are and what we can do to help facilitate that bounce back. Yeah, and I, on that same vein, uh, I, I have to talk, my, my nephew amazes me what he can do at, <laughs> at 20 months. Um, <clears throat> My dad bought him a real little set of golf clubs, like probably for like a three or a four year old. So he's not big enough to really go out and make a full swing with him. He's not strong enough, but my dad will take him out to the golf course and set balls down on the green and he'll five, six, seven balls hit and he'll, he'll knock them around until he gets all of them in the hole. <laughs> and he's just, um, it's just amazing to me to see what what he can do and you know and on that same token with kids just to uh to have that it, it amazes me what kids are capable of 100 percent. so um you, you're on for the book recommendation this week so what, what do you got for us uh highly recommend right now the end of average <clears throat> and um but once you accept oh, that way I began reading this book, um, I guess about a month ago, been kind of slow reading it by Ted Rose, Todd Rose, um, How to Succeed in a World that Values Sameness. And in here, the book opens up talking about um, how the, um, how the Air Force went and took the average, met the measurements of the average Air Force pilot and built their cockpits around that. And then they realized that in the 60s that a lot of these pilots were crashing. And it was because either the, the, the flight panel was too far away, it was too close, the controls were too close, the seats were not the right size. And they realized that when they did all these tests that there was no such thing as an average pilot. And so 
they began to change everything and said, okay, we need to make everything adjustable. So we're not going to build to the average. We're going to build to the individual. They made the system fit the individual versus trying to make the individual fit the system. And I think that education, this book is so relevant in education because in this day and age of high state testing and standardized testing and teacher evaluation being solely resting upon the performance of students, not just in that time frame, but in the future, I think we have to realize that there is no such thing as a standard. There is no average. Every kid learns differently. Um, he talks about the research done the sh about the children in Borneo who never crawl. We've always been told you got to crawl before you walk. Well, there's an entire population outside of this Western world that we live in that won't allow their children to go face belly down on the floor because of parasites and, and, and bacteria and illnesses that they can encounter. So they always sit them up. They're, they, they're, they're sitting up all the time. If they're not being carried, they're sitting up. So their back muscles develop faster. And they've noticed that these kids skip the crawling phase, skip the scooting phase, and go straight into walking. But that kind of contradicts everything that we talk about. And, but it also contradicts this notion of an average teacher, an average student, an average test score. You know, and I know you have to be able to measure, but measure me against myself. Measure, you know, that's one thing that attracted me to CrossFit is that when you first introduced me to CrossFit, every time I walk into the box, I'm competing against me. I look at what I did last time and said, okay, how can I beat me? That's my only average. It's what have I done? And I think that education has to kind of get on board and see that there's a different way of measuring student performance and student growth and how well a student. Does it matter if it takes them two weeks or two months to learn something? Or does it matter if they learn it? Well, yeah, and to that point, too, we know that there are kids that are held back by average because they can move much faster oh, than yeah. the average kid. And, you know, those kids, you know, can often cause or get into trouble or become disengaged. But and, and on that same thing, too, you know, we were talking about as we talk about with LEA and our programs, how we want to measure teachers, because obviously we want to measure and we want to be doing that. I really like the measurement of, you know, setting a standard. So, if you, you know, if 100% proficiency is a standard and you have a kid that's at 60%, I like to measure the growth towards that 100% standard. Hmm. So if a kid goes from a 60 to an 80, that's 50% growth toward that standard. They've cut it in half. But that same kid, once they're at 80, you know, now they only got to go 10% more to cut it in half again. Because you have those high-functioning kids, you know, if you have a high-functioning kid that's a 97, 98, 99, where is their opportunity for growth? Absolutely. You know, and, I, and you know, we've been talking to a lot with LEA about self-accountability and goal-setting. I mean, if teachers aren't setting their own goals and being accountable to them, how can we expect that they'll model that, that for, for kids? Right. And it has to be authentic. Yeah. It can't just be goal setting for the idea of setting a goal. It has to be something that I know that, you know, I remember when I first started teaching GT students, my goal was to 
prepare them, but the majority of my class were commended advanced performance on, on standardized tests. They were straight A students in mathematics. So how can I impact them? So I said, I can't do that now. I need to judge them on how well do they enter ninth grade after they leave me. And that's what I started doing. My goal is to prepare you for ninth grade. So at the end of the year, when I put ninth grade algebra one problems in front of them, and these kids can do it, where before they didn't understand what a quadratic was, they didn't understand anything. Now they get it, and I can say, okay, that was my goal. My objective was to make sure that you done it. But that was me personally. The district didn't say, this is what you do. There was not an administrator who comes in and says, this is the goals you have to meet. No, this was personal for me. And goal setting, if it's not personal, will not set. You taught me that with the workout. You can give me goals all day long, but until until, you're, until I internalize it and say, this is what I want to focus on, then you start seeing results from what you're doing. Yeah, and even me, like I was thinking about this just this morning, like my goal, you know, for the next seven, up, seven upcoming days, because I'm going to be in the same classroom for seven straight days. Um, my goal is to not have to send anyone to the office or to write anyone up. And my thing is, I'm going to go in with these kids and I'm going to be up front like, hey, I know how sub subbing works. I was in this school last year. I know how kids treat subs. So this is my goal that I want you to help me reach. I don't have to send anybody to the office and I don't have to write anybody up in these seven days. And I think right there, I'm putting myself in a position where these kids are like, oh, okay, he's here. He's here to teach, but but he wants us to do good. He wants us to right. have, have those things. And you know, working, especially with the new teacher, you know, you got to have, you got to value yourself before you can set real goals for yourself. Cause you have to be upfront about it. And, and I think back to what you were saying earlier about other people's expectations, you can't set goals based on someone else's other, someone else's expectations. Cause either you're going to blow past them or you're going to fall short, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't give you the same gratification and fulfillment that it does when you um, when you can set it yourself and work toward it, and I think too a big part of that too is when you're setting your own goals. If you don't reach it, you can be you can be honest with yourself. You don't have someone else to blame. Well, you know this person gave me this goal, right? And it it didn't work because they didn't support me in this way. Like, hey, I go in there and tomorrow some kid just goes off the chain crazy. I'm gonna have to write him up. And I, but I can think and I can say, oh, okay, what happened right. in this situation that I had to deviate from my goal? You know, that's the same thing that I always ask kids whenever I see them being written up and they're in the office. The first question I ask them, when you woke up this morning, is this the place that you said you would be at at 10 o'clock? No. Then what happened? I don't, I, I don't know what you mean. What, what did you say did you want? What, how did you expect for your day to go? I didn't think about it. Problem number one. When you don't think about what you want your day to look like, anything can happen. But when you set a goal that you know what your, do, your day is going to look like, I say this, everything will happen. And they kind of look at me strange because that's a big concept for, for a preteen, adolescent, fifth and sixth grader to, to gobble up. But I said this. If I wake up in the morning and say that my goal is to make sure I smile at every person that I see. And the very first person that makes me frown, I know that I frown. 
then I can say, what was it about that person that made me frown instead of smile? Now I can fix that because I know what it is. So when I see the person again, I can turn it around. But if you don't set that goal, then you can, you're opening yourself up for anything to happen and anything to take place. And I think far few people set goals. They kind of just live in happenstance. You know, I was watching um, uh, Oprah uh, the other day, um, Super Soul Sunday, last Sunday, and she had uh, Pastor John Gray from Lakewood Church on. And he said something that was just phenomenal to me. He said, there are no accidental lives on this earth. Everybody that's in this earth was spoken, was spoken of, meaning that there's no accident. So if we're no accidental people, then there are no accidents that happen. The only time that accidents happen is when you fail to plan. You get car insurance. Why? So when an event, there is an accident, you're covered. No insurance, an accident happens, you're sitting out, you're stuck. But when you plan, I have a goal to do this, to do that, to do this, to accomplish this, then when you notice yourself deviating, you can pick yourself back up. That, that is huge. And, and like I say, far few people do it the way they should. Setting one goal makes it, that's how I started, just set one goal. One goal every day. What is my goal going to look like for today? Okay, what's my goal going to look like for tomorrow? Okay. And then the guys are going to say, I can do more than just that one. <laughs> I mean, and there's value to that because, you know, if you try to set five goals at one time, you, you might, by the time you reach that fifth goal, it might be a goal that you've already surpassed. Right. So you, you really can give yourself the right expectations. So moving into the, to the meat of what we wanted to talk about uh, on this episode is uh, a concept or an idea or a belief. I don't know what we want to call it yet, but a, a mantra that we're calling we're the 1%. Um, and by we're, we mean teachers are the 1% of our population. Uh, according to the most recent census, there are uh, a little short of 320 million people living in the United States. And according to the National Center for Education Statistics, last year there were 3.1 million teachers. So doing a little rough math, that's about 1%. So 1% of, of the United States population are teachers. But that 1% has an effect on the other 99 and we really feel like that is so powerful and that teachers, we hope to help teachers value themselves like, like a person who's in the, you know, the, the 1% that has an Im impact on everyone else. Oh, man. And you, and you know, it, it supports. I'm glad you found that research because it supports what, what we've been saying since we started Lighthouse is that the teaching craft is the only profession on this planet that affects every other profession on this planet. There is no one that's in the position that they're in right now that cannot say they were not impacted by a teacher. And I'll say anywhere because our prisons are filled with individuals who had teachers who failed them. Our, 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 our cemeteries are filled with individuals whose dreams were cut short because of teachers who failed them. And I'm not talking about just your professional teachers. I'm talking about all the teachers we encounter every single day. I think about the movie Aquila and the Bee when she was trying to train for the spelling bee. And, and she said, you know, I don't just have one teacher. 
I have, a, I have a bunch of coaches. So everybody became a coach. So everyone she came were giving her words and she was spelling them. Our children are that exact same way. Everyone they encounter impacts them in some type of way. So if I was impacted negatively by a teacher, now my experiences with education and with teaching is very tainted. So now I'm going to have a very negative view and I'm going to pass that negative view on to everybody that I know. Flip side, if I had a positive experience, I'm going to have a positive impact on people as it relates to education. But teachers have to understand that the value that you carry as a teacher, it far surpasses what your paycheck says. Listen, teachers, it's not your paycheck that we're working for. It's tomorrow that we're working for. It's tomorrow to know that I've done something to positively impact the lives of a student, that now their life, your student that you just went, is going to be drastically different than anything that they've ever expected because of my interaction. And we talk about it all the time, the value of the teaching craft. We've been devalued because we put monetary weight on our value. Oh, we don't get paid as much. We don't get paid what we're worth. Well, no one really will ever get paid what they're worth unless you're working for yourself. And then at that, you're not being paid what you're worth. You're being paid what's agreed upon that's your worth. Every individual on this planet is priceless because there's only one Kyle Krieger. There's only one Wilkie Law. So really, the, the amount of value that's on each individual person is priceless. But what you give me is just simply an aid for me to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, and teachers have to see that, especially, you know, we're getting ready to come into Teacher Appreciation Month. Last year, I did a video. I hadn't posted it yet, but I did a video because I actually heard teachers, while they're being appreciated, saying, this is all we get. And it stunned me because I'm like, you give me a pencil and say, thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> you know, you, you, you give me a, a, a T-shirt or, or a cone that says you're a great teacher. I'm excited. But you give me a group of students who sit in my classroom who say, Mr. Lott, thank you for doing what you do. That's my appreciation. Six years from now, still having students come back and bring me invitations to their graduation at Aldine High School coming up next month, saying, you have to be here because I wouldn't be where I'm at if it was not for you. That's appreciation. And that is not limited to a week in a year that, that, that people decide to do it. It's in the lives that you touch every single day. Yeah. And I and I think with what we're talking about with our mentoring program that we're, you know, launching in August with new teachers, I think you have to have the understanding that just because you don't think you impact a kid, you do. <laughs> there there is no like it's kind of that same philosophy of we're either getting better or we're getting worse. <laughs> we're not staying the same. That kid, you are either, you know, confirming what that kid already knows about teachers or what they already believe, or you're changing it. Mm -hmm. If they're a kid that really believes teachers are awesome and you're not very good and you treat them poorly, then that, that mentality is going to change. On the flip side, if it's someone that really doesn't value teachers, but you show them the value that you have, you show them the value that they have, then, then it can definitely change things. It comes back to this word we use all the time is being intentional. Intentional. You, ha you have to be intentional with culture. You have to be intentional with relationships. You have to be intentional with everything you do because when you are not intentional, going back to our goal setting piece, when you're not intentional, you are subject to whatever, whatever happens. 
Mm-hmm. And those out, it, when you're not intentional, you're giving up control of the outcomes. Now, outcomes will not always work in your favor. You, you can do the best thing. You can have the best plan and something bad happens to it. it it's, it's not that if you're intentional, you can have a great relationship with every single kid you have. Right. But the vast majority of the time you will have positive relationships and you will have that positive impact. Because I, I've said this before and I don't know that I've said it on the podcast. The thing that scares me the most about education right now is what's going to happen when this crop of kids become parents. If, if education continues the way it is to where kids are valuing teachers less and less, when those kids become parents, their attitude's not going to change. Right. And, and the thing is, is that as teachers, if we understood that we're that 1%, we're that group that steers, you know, we, we talked about it before. Um, part of my thesis was that, that teachers are the engine that drives social change. There is no other. I don't care where you look, how you look at it. There is no other way to ensure that that your society is going to be able to continue and to thrive if you don't have a positive and an effective education system. You find me a thriving society, I find you a thriving educational system. You find me a poor performing society and a society that's on the verge of going extinct, I'll find you a society that, that does not have a proper education system. And I'm not talking about standardized testing. I'm talking about those soft skills that are needed. Do you even know how to work in a group? Do you know how to talk to people? Do you know how to conduct yourself as a as an actual human being and not an animal? You know, are you are you driven solely by by your desires and and your instincts, or do you have the ability to subdue those and intellectually think and work your way through problems? And I think that that our educational system, because the educational system itself has devalued teachers. If you want, you have a degree, want to teach. I mean, that was a billboard here in Houston. There's real billboard. There's a half a dozen of them. I see them all the time. You know, and now you have potentially, possibly, the situation where you may have more people coming into the teaching craft who don't have an innate love for it, who are doing it just to get a check because I have a degree, I can't get a job anywhere else, so I'll go into this profession. And I admit, I was one. But I found my love once I got here. But I found my love through a great mentor. Big shout out to Miss Kay Davis. Um, she mentored me my very first year, told me the ugly truth. You're not going to be successful in this at the rate that you're going. <laughs> you cannot come in here ill-prepared and think you're going to teach students. They're going to eat you alive. And because of her care and concern for the teaching craft, her care and concern for teachers who are coming into the teaching craft, she made me a much better teacher than what I would have been if I would have been left to my own devices or had a mentor that did not pour that into it. And that happens less and less because now it's just kind of just do you. Yeah. And, and I, and I come back to what you're saying with society of this term that we have now called fake news. (laughs) There's always going to be fake news. There's always going to be propaganda. There's always going to be those things. But as teachers, we should be not teaching kids one way or the other to decide what their opinion is, but to just look at it from a perspective and say what's real and what's not. What's real and what's not. 
but the teacher themselves must be able to decipher between what's real and what's not. I mean, because if you go back in history, I mean, and I know I'm reading a book right now, everything that they told you in your history class was a lie. I know your social studies teacher, you may disagree with the book, but there's some very interesting facts, but yeah. we still have to deal with the fact that the educational system that we're currently in was not designed and built for many of the people that are in it. It was never designed for, for those individuals, so because of that, we have to look at the problem as a system first, and stop trying to put out the little bitty fires when you got a big blaze that's going on that you're just not even paying attention to. You know, I always say deal with everything in its authority. If, if somebody's doing something, I'm not going to run over there and try to be a cop. No, I'm going to call the cops. Uh, you know, I'm not going to try to go and grab my water hose and put, fire, put a fire out if I don't know what the cause of the fire is. Firemen don't just run and start throwing water. Because if it's a gasoline fire and I'm throwing water, you're not doing anything to that. But to know the types of fires that you're putting out and to know what you need to put those fires out. And I think that education has to start looking at what are the root causes of what we're doing because we're failing. We used to be in the top, top 25. We're not even in the top 25 among OPEC nations. There are other countries that are far surpassing us in educational superiority, not because they're better than us, but because they've developed a system that better works for their society. And historically, the, the thinkers, the teachers, the educators were the ones that every policymakers came to teachers. They didn't do anything on their own and make decisions on their own. No, they went to the educated ones. Why? Because they're the ones who drive society. And right now, we're just trying to make decisions and do things that's going to be good for, 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 for the other 1%. And not realizing that the 1% that really matters are the ones that have the boots on the ground Monday through Friday, every single day. Well, and I think to so much of, and this comes back to what you were saying right away starting off, so much of it is we want to do things for perception. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not saying that education is political in the same sense that, you know, Democrat, Republican political, but there's a large degree of politics to it. It... You know, and I think the teacher evaluation systems, to some degree, are more percep more perception than they are reality. I think, well, I think they can be either yeah. or. Yeah. I think the intention behind the evaluation system determines whether or not it's based on perception. How, how, the, how the teacher uses Absolutely. what is intended. Because, like you said, there's... There's nothing wrong with evaluation systems and data and statistics, but you know it, it then comes back to your in, intention as to why you're looking. For, are you looking for ways to really improve your craft, or is this, you know, a justification to to get rid of teachers you don't like or keep teachers you like? Yeah, you know, and it's and the hard part is there are so many evaluation systems out there that are good. But it's, it doesn't really get personal. I never felt like the evaluation systems, the, the times I was evaluated, it was ever really personal. When you have, okay, here's a list of the 15 criteria in four different columns. Here's your check. They make everything into a number. You know, this is the question that I asked my teachers the other day. I asked a question. What if your students were solely responsible for your evaluations. 
What if whether or not you came back next year as a teacher on the campus that you're teaching on was the sole responsibility of the students that are sitting in your classroom right now? How many of you feel like you would be back? And I, it, was, it was rhetorical. I didn't want them to answer, but I want them to think about it because I think that when we're going toward customer service, making sure that, that, that you're doing your job right, I can't ask the cashier whether or not the guy who changed my oil did the right things because they're just a cashier. They're just there. Their responsibility is just to take my money. But if I want to know how effective that guy was underneath that hood, then I have to go and inspect his work. So then I look at the car. Our, as teachers, that's, our students are our cars. We, they pull into our, our bays every single day. And I said, we don't have the privilege of, 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 the, of the big box stores who only see you once a month, maybe, or, you know, the grocery department stores who maybe see you once or twice a season. We see our customers every single day, five days a week, 7.75 hours a day. And we see them for 187 days in a year. That's more than half a year that we're with our customers. My question is, if we want to know really what teachers have been effective, talk to those students. And when you hear student voice and saying, I don't learn anything in this teacher's class, then you ask them the question, well, why not? Because they do this, this, this. Now you go to the teacher and you deal with the teacher on this, this, and this. Because when you walk in the classroom and do an observation, I notice there's just me going in. I'm not even an administrator, but when I walk into the classroom, the students act different. I'm a visitor. I'm in the classroom. They see me with a pad and a pencil and I'm writing things down. So they're not going to show you what they see every single day. The teachers are not going to show you what they give every day. They're going to give what they think I want to write on this paper. They're going to work towards your expectations exactly. rather than their own. Rather than their own. So if you want to know the root of how to get to teachers and know what teachers are being effective and what to work on, talk to the students. They're always screaming at us. So that means that teacher has a problem with communication. I don't feel like they're graded our paper fairly. So that means that teacher needs to, needs to go through training on how to give proper and appropriate feedback. So it's like if you want to know it. I mean, like I said, I'm not a problem person. I hate hearing people talk about problems all the time and they never get a solution. You want a solution? Talk to the kids. We saw that even in a Gallup poll where 75% of our kids leave high school saying, I feel like no none of my teachers cared about me. They never took a personal interest in me. So if that is the case and our students are saying that, then what do we need to do as a society to make sure that our students' voices are heard? Now, granted, I know teach students lie. They don't get their way. But if every student is saying the exact same thing. You sample a big enough section. You'll find out. You'll, you'll find, find out exactly what's going on. And, you know, and that's and I really think that's a great point and probably a good point to really shove off on because we've we've talked about you know asking teachers you know if your kids told your story you know the 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 difference between you writing an autobiography of your year and your student and your students writing a biography what would it be i think that's super important and applying applying it to you know how we are going forward training teachers is really that's a metric that we don't and i'm and i'm hardly ever used it and I was maybe almost 
kind of anti it because it puts you in a position where you got to really listen to what people say about you and not take it personally. Absolutely. You know, and the kids, if depending upon the age group, a sixth grader might make it a personal attack just because that's the only way they know how to communicate. But if it's a personal attack, then it still gives you a case to reflect is what did I do to antagonize this student? What I mean, it, it, I knew kids who came from rough situations that were sitting in my classroom. I knew their situation. So the way I handled that kid was not saying that I'm going to coddle you. I'm still in your face. I'm an in-your-face type of teacher. But when I'm in your face, before I get in your face, I'm going to establish the fact that I love you. I'm going to establish to you that I care about where, where you're going in life. And I'm going to make sure that you understand every aspect of my being and my essence is spent trying to make sure that you become a better version of you. You don't have to be what you do. So when I get in that kid's face, that kid's know I'm in your face out of love. So they don't take it personal. So even a kid that I get after all the time can only say one thing. Yeah, I know Mr. Lala cares about him. Even a kid that, that may say, you know, I don't like him sometimes. I had a kid tell me that. Sometimes I don't like you, but I know you care. Yeah. And I think that that's important. That it's not about your likability. And I think we fall into that as teachers. We want to be that cool teacher. Well, you can still be that cool teacher and be effective. But you gotta start, it gotta start by being holding kids accountable and holding yourself accountable. And holding yourself accountable starts with setting goals, which goes right back to what we started talking about at the beginning. Absolutely. So you have to go there. I mean, that's that's the, a teacher without setting goals is like a ship without a sail. Yeah. I mean, you're gonna then you're at the mercy of the current and the waves. Right. Wherever so. the, wherever it goes, that's where you're gonna go. But the moment you lift your sail up. You put your goals out and then you let everybody know, hey, I have a goal. This is where I'm going. So then when the wind blows one direction, I know which way to move my cell to get me in the direction I need to go. Even if it changes direction, then I change. I watched them when they do the, the, the Ryder Cup and I'm, I'm looking, I'm amazed to see in this little bitty space, you got all this work going on. Why? Because they know that the wind is going one way, the, the waves are going another way. So if, I'm, if I need to go here... Sometimes I got to roll it down, push it around and move it around. And I'm <clears throat> but if we're in education and we don't pay attention to that, we don't teach teachers how to do the self-reflection. We don't put an emphasis on the reflection. We don't make them write down goals. We don't give them a purpose in what they're doing. We just say, oh, we, we, we're going to assume that you're doing this already. No. And as a school leader, I don't make assumptions. Can we just be, a, as a school leader, I don't make assumptions. My decisions are based on what is factual. I'm not going to make an assumption. The moment I make an assumption, well, we know that cliche. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's really good. I really like that a lot. So let's, uh, let's wrap it up. Leave the teachers with one, one little bit. They got six weeks left. One little bit for them to go on. I would say this is not a time to slack off. If you if you're already on summer break, then so are your kids. You are the you are, you are the thermometer and the thermostat for your classroom. You're the thermostat for your classroom, rather. And if you set your thermostat already on summer break, then your kids are going to come in and they're going to raise their level to summer break. So right now is not the time to shut down. It's the time to get intentional with what you're doing. Talk to your kids right now for the next six weeks about what they want their next year to look like. Start having them jot down ideas of what they need to do from this year to next year to be a better person than they are today. Talk about what they're going to do this summer to make this earth and this world a better place. Get them involved in something beyond. Because curriculum has been taught. 
tests have been taken. So right now at this point, this is where you can really pour into building the character of these students and, and building on those relationships that you've had for the last seven or eight months and making sure that these kids leave you truly understanding better than what than what they came to you in. So that's I mean that's perfect. I, I wrote down uh, on my note card to wrap up, thrive, not survive the last Absolutely. six weeks. You got you still gotta try to thrive and do good for those kids. I mean, one, it's a solid for the people that get them next year. And also it's, you, you never know the opportunity you can have to build that relationship and what it would do for a kid. Don't have that mentality. I'm just trying to get through June, do the best you can to really serve those kids and to serve yourself and, and to get better. So we will, uh, we will be back at you hopefully in, in another week's time with a special guest or maybe a few things, uh, more to come on the Lighthouse Educator Academy. At this point, we are working to get in contact with some of the districts in Houston to try to run the program, but there is also a possibility we may just run it ourselves, but uh, we're really excited about our two-year mentoring program for new teachers. Uh, more details can be found at the ledproject.com or on facebook.com slash lighthouse educator development. Bring it home. Yeah, just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. If you know someone, uh, pass this along to them. If you know someone who's looking for a mentoring program, a district that is struggling with trying to get get and keep teachers, then send them to the lighthouse. We are that beacon guiding educators. We'll talk to you again soon.